But now I know. You know, and so it's like, Yah is just wonderfully with us. Yes. You know, as we journey through His Word. You know, and I truly believe with all my heart that it is He who is who, who is choosing the books. You know, um, you know, and so it's even as you know with the process that we do is you know we leave it to Him. You know, and hallelujah, I'm happy to go through whatever He wants us to go through. You know, now that said, these these uh, last few weeks we've been doing our intro. And today we're going to probably complete that intro and get and start um, officially kick off chapter one. Oh, yeah. Here we go. But don't get too excited. We're not going to get too far. Um, <laughs> you know, but nevertheless, you know, I pray it's good. Yeah. All right. So just kind of as a little recap. You know, Yah wants us to study the book of Joshua from the individual perspective of Joshua being the son of Nun. That is, the son re-sprouted or born again. And that's what Nun means, to be re-sprouted. Being re-sprouted is a picture of being born again. Even as Israel, that left out of original Mitzrayim or Egypt, came into the wilderness. And within the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, they re-sprouted. You know, um, all of those, except for two that originally came out, died. But those that were born in the wilderness and that was under the age of 20, truly re-sprouted Israel when Israel was born again. You know, now, they were born again as a man in whom the Rock Hakodesh um, was in, poor in the wilderness. Yah was definitely with him. His spirit was with him, leading him cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Amen. Amen. Um, collectively, we're speaking of those who went through the wilderness. Uh, I think I lost my sound. Um, please hold due to technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so collectively we're speaking of those that went through their wilderness experience and have endured this test and trials by holding on to Elohim. You know, this is the very definition of Israel. This is how Yaakov received the name, even by wrestling with good and wrestling with evil and prevailing by holding on to Elohim. You know, they have they have borne the whoredom of their parents and forefathers, yet they have their old man, that is their flesh man and his lust broken down, humble and dead. As a result, they're no longer fleshly or worldly, but are now reborn spiritually via the water of the word and the rock HaKodesh. Within the book of Joshua, we can expect to learn the plan of Elohim concerning 
Joshua, i.e. the ecclesia of Yah, and those born-again believers that make up spiritual Israel. We'll learn how to enter into the kingdom of Elohim and what to expect once in, as well as how to proceed once in. Another perspective we'll be exploring is that of the land and the inhabitants of the land. How the land of Canaan speak to the kingdom of Elohim within you and its inhabitants, the fallen angels, demons, devils, and other unclean spirits which currently inhabit the born again believers. Mm. You know, so it's a lot we're going to get into in this book. You know, um, for those who are fans of spiritual warfare, this is the book of spiritual warfare. Let's go. You know. Let's go. Now, we're talking about the kingdom of Elohim. Well, um, the land of Canaan is a type of the kingdom of Elohim, and, and we even, you know, in the intro, we show that it was in literally the kingdom of Elohim, you know, um, even before, before Yah told his people to go in and take it, you know. But what is a kingdom? A kingdom is a country governed or ruled by a king. A kingdom is a sovereign rulership and governing influence of the king over his territory, his domain, impacting it with his will, purpose, and intent. You know, and as I like to say, the kingdom of Elohim is wherever the king reigns. Wherever the king reigns is his territory is his domain and if that's within you then the kingdom of Elohim is within you so the kingdom of Elohim is the reign of Elohim you know and it's it's, it's, it's very interesting like you know um, you know that a lot of people just can't see this, you know, but, you know, I guess at the end of the day, you know, it's Yah that opens the eyes, not man, right? You know, but the kingdom of Elohim speaks to the reign of Elohim, you know, and Yahshua taught us that the kingdom of Elohim is within us, you know, meaning that the reign of Elohim should be in us. To validate what I'm saying, consider, consider you know, how Yahshua, Yahshua's model of prayer. You know, it says, our Father, which art in heaven. So, no, no mistake about who we're praying to, right? Yeah. Heavenly Father. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom mm -hmm. and the power mm -hmm. and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Now, I want you to take note that he says, thy kingdom come. Mm -hmm. All right. So, if thy kingdom, if he's telling his disciples to pray, and this is his model of prayer for his disciples, is to pray. Pray to the Heavenly Father that his kingdom come. You know, now, the question should be, come when? Because even at the time when our Messiah said this, he was also quoted saying, if I cast out these devils by the finger of Elohim, then the kingdom of Elohim has come upon you. And saying, repent, for the kingdom of Elohim is at hand. Thereby, teaching that the kingdom had come. But here, in his model of prayer to his disciples, he tell them to pray for the kingdom to come. And the reason that is, is because the kingdom has to come within you. It has to come within the believer. And then he goes on to say, thy will be done. 
Remember the definition of a kingdom. The definition of a kingdom is where the king reigns. Now, if the kingdom come within you and his will be done in you in the earth as it is by as it is in the heaven, then the kingdom of Elohim has come within you. And I pray that you can see that he's actually teaching his would be his disciples and would be disciples to pray for the kingdom to come within them. And that the will of Elohim will be done within them. You know, and within the earth in them. Now the earth, now we notice that this was parabolic because it, it also teaches us that everything he said uh, pretty much was parabolic. You know, but in one of his parables he teaches us that the earth represents what? Not the field. Um, it does it in, in, in one instance, but that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, because the field is a part of the earth. So, you know. But the heart of men. You know. You know, and this is where the kingdom is. It's within you. You know, and this is where he wants his will to be done, even in your hearts. Mm -hmm. You know. You know, and we're going to consider, you know, some other things that he said. Consider Luke 17, 20 and 21. It says, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, speaking of the Messiah, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of Elohim should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of Elohim cometh not with observation. <clears throat> see, when it comes, you won't, you won't see it coming. Amen. Verse 21 goes on to say, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of Elohim is within you. Can you see within yourself? Can the next man see within, within you? Hence, the kingdom comes not with observation. Consider Acts 14, 22. It says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of Elohim. So now, what have we learned? We learned, for one, we learned what a kingdom is. We learned that the kingdom is where Yah reigns, right? We also learned that the kingdom is within, is within us, right? You know, and if it's not, some of us got to pray that it comes. <coughs> Amen? Amen? And once in... Once it is in you, then the reign of Elohim would also be in you. You know, now, here's the kicker. Acts 14.22 teaches us that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of Elohim. You're not just going to walk up into the kingdom of Elohim. No one is just going to prance right on in. No, I don't think it's going to be that easy. Because it won't. But through much tribulation, you have to enter into the kingdom of Elohim. Are any of you willing to fight to get into the kingdom? Consider Matthew Yahoo 721. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That's a lot of people who call him Lord today. But it's a lot of them that refused to do the will of his father. Even going so far as to say his, the will of his father is done away with. Absolutely not. You know, and this warning is there. This admonition is there for all who think, think that way. Nevertheless, many still think that way. Consider Romans 14, 17. It says, for the kingdom of Elohim is not meat and drink. But righteousness and peace and joy in Ruach Kadesh. You know, so we we see that the kingdom of Elohim is righteousness. And it's also peace and joy. If you have someone and they 
tell you that the kingdom of Elohim is in them, or they tell you they're in the kingdom of Elohim, and they're always unjoyful. They never have peace. Then you should probably think again. You know, and if you even if you have righteousness, but you don't have peace and joy, there's a problem. There's an enemy in the camp. There's a real problem. You know, because if you truly have Yah's righteousness, you should have this peace and joy as well. And if you haven't, there's a problem. There's an enemy in the camp. You need to seek him out. You need to get him out. Consider Mark 4, 26 through 28. It says, and he said, so is the kingdom of Elohim, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And should keep it rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the corn, um, the full corn in the ear. Now, this teaches us. It says the kingdom of Elohim is as if a man should cast the seed into the ground. Now, of course, this is a parable. Um, and, you know, Yah in his founding of one of his parables, he tells us what the seed represents. Anyone recall what the seed represents? Yah's word. Absolutely. The word of Elohim. You know, so now, basically what Yahshua is teaching is that if a man will put the word of Elohim into the ground. What does the ground represent? The heart. The heart. All right. We're getting somewhere. So the kingdom of Elohim is as if a man should cast the word of Elohim into his heart. How do we do that? How do we cast the word of Elohim into our hearts? Hallelujah. Yeah, absolutely. Even by reading his word. Anytime you read his word. Anytime you hear his word. Anytime you act upon his word. You're putting seed into the ground. Hallelujah. You know. So the kingdom of Elohim is as a man should cast the word of Elohim into his heart. This is why it's so important to get into your word. This is why it's so important to come hear his word. This is why it's so important to hang around people that act out his word. So that that seed can get into the ground. Amen? Amen. Verse 27 continues on. It says, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. And he knoweth not how. You don't have to worry about doing nothing else but getting that seed in there. That's right. Amen? Amen? You get that seed in there. And some way, somehow, you're not going to know how. That seed going to spring up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen? Amen. It's important to grasp this. Because so many people just don't sow no seed. They just don't sow any seed. You know, they may come to the assembly or to a church, you know, once a week. And they may hear a line here and a line there. But don't you know the more seed you you plant, the larger the harvest? Amen? We know we have the best seed around. There's nothing wrong with the seed. If it's not growing, there's nothing wrong with the seed. You're going to have to check the ground. Amen? Because if the ground is too hard, the seed not going to sprout forth. You know, now I'm not going to go into that because Yahshua already did that with the parable of the sword and the seed, right? You know, but verse 28 says, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. You know, so you put that seed in there and your heart will bring forth the fruit. 
Now, this is in conjunction with something else Yahshua um, said elsewhere. And, but it, it speaks to it perfectly. It says, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. Out of the abundance of the heart, mm -hmm. the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. Can't you see that he's saying that the mouth is going to speak? In alignment with what kind of fruit that's in the heart. Or what kind of seed that's been planted in the heart. Okay. Now if it's good seed, then good things are going to spew out the mouth. But if it's bad seed, like that which his enemy has sown, then bad things are going to spew out of the mouth. See, this is why James says... Sweet water and bitter should not come out the same fountain. Right, right, right. Amen? Amen. Yes. I'm enjoying this, but we got to move on. You know, <laughs> we haven't even gotten into chapter one yet. Um, but here we are. Joshua. Chapter one. All right. All right. So, Joshua one. It says, now after the death of Moshe, the servant of Yahuwah, it came to pass that Yahuwah spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moshe's minister, saying, you know, and so before we get, go past this, you know, I just wanted to rewind a bit to before Moshe died and what he prayed to Yah concerning Joshua. So can I have my first reader read Numbers 27, 15 through 23, please? And Moshe spake unto Yahuwah, saying, Let Yahuwah, the Elohim of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of Yahuwah be not as sheep, which have no shepherd. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Take thee, Yehoshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Ruach, and lay thine hand upon him. And set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put the sum of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before Yahuwah. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall they come in, both he and the children of Israel with him even all the congregation. And Moshe did as Yahuwah commanded him, and he took Yehoshua and sent him before Eleazar, the priest, and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge, as Yahuwah commanded by the hand of Moshe. Hallelujah. Okay, okay, so we see Moshe speaking to Yah and asking that he set, set a man uh, over Israel so that they don't be without leadership, right? Um, uh, just as a side note, take hope, take take note of what he calls Yah, the Elohim of the spirits of our flesh, mm -hmm. the spirits mm -hmm. of our flesh. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yes, flesh has spirits. You know, some have more than others. Say a lot. Now, he says, choose someone which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. Now, our spiritual Joshua, this is his job to go out before thee and to go in before thee. And to lead them out and bring them in. This is what true leadership looks like. You know, so many people think that leadership looks like the leader say and the follower does. But that's not true leadership. That's some type of perversion of leadership. You know, the true leadership is the leader go out before them. Why? Because... If there's a problem, 
he can handle it or he can deal with it or he can at least contrive a plot or plan to deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and he goes before them for the same reason. And when it's safe, he leaves them out. And when it's safe, he brings them in. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what leadership looks like. You know, uh, and this is also what the shepherd does with the sheep. Now, Yah says, take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Ruach, and lay thine hand upon him. Okay, so we're talking about one that is a son of Nun. Noon. Anybody remember what noon meant? Does speak to uh, perpetuity, but what else? Fish. Absolutely. You know, I like I like I like to look at the aspect of the fish because that's what y'all collected. He collected fishermen and taught them how to fish for men. Did he not? Didn't he tell them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Right? And so Joshua is a type of the son of the fish. So those that in which he gathered, they had offspring. Those in which he gathered are the very same ones he led out into a spiritual wilderness. And within that spiritual wilderness, they had offspring. The ones that went, in, went out of spiritual Egypt or spiritual Mitzrayim into that spiritual wilderness aren't the ones that's going to go into the spiritual land of Canaan or the kingdom of Elohim. It's the ones that re-sprout and that's that's the other definition of you no know, it's the ones that re-sprout it's the ones that our father from above that are born again the ones that's born in the wilderness those are the ones that's going to go even as we see with physical israel first the natural then the spiritual you know now it goes on to say and accept them before eleazar the priest you know so he has a helper. You know, Elazar name means helper of Elohim. You know, even as spiritually we have a helper. You know, he's called the comforter. He's the spirit of truth. Amen. You know, and before all the congregation and gave him a charge in the sight. And then it says, he told Moshe to put some of his honor upon him. Now that, this word honor, you know, speaks to his glory. And the glory speaks to his brightness. And the brightness speaks to his wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You remember, Moshe has so much of it that he had to put a veil over his face because it scared the people. Remember? Well, he put some of that on Joshua. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge. You know? And so that's just a picture of Yahshua bestowing his wisdom, understanding and knowledge upon those that are fathered from above and chosen to lead. Amen. Amen. Joshua 1-2 Moshe, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them, even the children of Israel. Now I believe that was last week we went in depth into the yard, if you would. You know, the river yard. And we spoke about how it literally is a waterway that comes from on high and descends down <coughs> to death, even the Dead Sea. You know, and we spoke about how the water represents truth. Mm -hmm. And how it's a picture of truth from on high descending down 
but leading to death. And how it represented what happened in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, you know. And when when the um, fallen angels came down and interacted with humanity and the Nephilim were born and so on and so forth. And all of the truths that they spewed forth that came from on high that Yah didn't intend for man to know and understand at that time. And that's what this river of water, this river Yarden represents. Because those truths truly did come from on high. But they're the type of truths that will lead unto your death. Hence the Yarden starts from on high, even in Mount Hermon, and goes all the way to the lowest point on the planet, the Dead Sea. Now, that's not a clear depiction of what the, what that info would do for you. Then I don't know what is. See, a lot of people have itchy ears and they want to know about anything and everything, but there is a such thing as forbidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Yarden represents. It represents forbidden knowledge. It represents stuff that Yah didn't intend for us to know. I don't know about you, but I don't even want to know what he wants me to know. I don't need to know everything. <laughs> you know, I'm good with just what he wants me to know. You know, hence, you know, I, you know, um, especially concerning scripture, I seldom read anything other than scripture. You know. So, yeah. At some point, we're going to have to go over this Jordan and go into the land that Yah has given us. Now, verse 3 goes on to say, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moshe. You know, consider Matthew Yahoo 4.17 says, From that time, Yahushua began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of Elohim is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand for today's followers of Yahushua, even as the land of Canaan was at hand for Israel during the time of Joshua. You know, it's still at hand. There's coming a time when it won't be, but this, as of now, it's still at hand. Joshua 1.4 says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Uh, I'm going to talk about the wilderness for a bit. The word wilderness is midbar in the Hebrew. It's number 4057. It comes from the root word debar, meaning to speak, to declare, to command, in the sense of driving. You know, now I want you to consider how midbar, the word for wilderness, means to speak. It means to command in the sense of driving and I want you to think about how Yah in the wilderness spoke to Israel commanded them and his commandments drives us or guides us through this life if we allow him to amen now the particular wilderness they were in at this particular time was the wilderness of Zen which means to pray. Then we have Lebanon. Lebanon is number 3844. And it speaks to the White Mountain. But its root word is Labah. You know, and number 3824, which speaks to the heart. So, actually, you can also see a white heart and whiteness can speak to righteousness in a good sense but alternatively it can also speak to emptiness or stupidity that is the state of the greatest resistance to the absorption of light which speaks to pride and stubbornness contrary to popular belief black and white are both dark spiritually 
but black absorbs light and becomes hot or smart, whereas white reflects light, i.e. doesn't allow light in, and thereby remains cool or stubborn and stupid. Mm -hmm. It just depends on which side you're in as to what it represents for you. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. Now, it also spoke of the great river Euphrates and the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun. Now, Euphrates is um, paraph in the Hebrew and it speaks to fruitfulness. It also can mean to break forth from rushing. The great river Euphrates speaks <coughs> to our fruitfulness, which is to be flowing even as a great river. What fruitfulness? I'm glad you asked. It's found in Galatians 5.22. 23. This is the fruitfulness that the trees within the kingdom of Elohim ought to bear. Amen? It says, but the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. You know? And so, that is one of the uh, other borders. And then we have the Hittites. Hittites is actually um, Kitty in the Hebrew, number 2850. And it speaks to a descendant of Keth or Heth, you know, and which Heth means terror. Comes from 2845, you know, meaning terror from Kathath, number 2865, meaning to prostrate or hence break down. So the land of the Hittites makes for a clear picture of one being so afraid of something that they prostrate themselves before it. That is, they worship it. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, and that is, uh, uh, I think I put it in here. Okay. Maybe getting ahead of myself. Alright, so Beware, for Satan knows what flavor of sin to bait his hook with. Mm -hmm. Don't think that Satan going to come at you in a way that you're going to just totally know. And even if he does come in a way that you're going to totally know, you still probably will give in. You probably won't be able to resist it. I'm here to tell you. If you do figure out which way he's coming at you in your life, run. Go the other way. Don't think you can withstand him. Run. Go the other way. Do not stand in his way and think you can oppose him. You know, and he know what flavor of sin to bait his hook with. That is the truth. Now, he'll tell you that no matter what they tell you, you don't have to stay within within the lines. You know, but that's not the truth. Because we should keep calm and stay on our side of the board. Once we cross over into the kingdom of Elohim, we're in Yah's domain. I'm going to say that again. Once we cross over into the kingdom of Elohim, we are in Yah's domain. See, this is why Yah gave us his borders that we might know where his domain begins and where it ends. Now, as long as we stay calm and stay on our side of the border, Yah has our back. But on the opposite sides of the borders, we're on our own. Right. Amen? Amen? Make sense? Yeah. That's why it's called the kingdom of Elohim. Yeah. You know, now the king protects his citizens. Yeah. But his citizens live in the kingdom. Yeah. Come on. It's not that hard. So, 
waters was the wilderness of Zen. The wilderness of Zen speaks of where Yah speaks to us. Now, I'm certain that we all were in a place where we ain't had no business being. And Yah has spoken to you. Yes. That was a type of wilderness of Zen, especially if when he spoke to you, the words pricked your heart. Because Zen means to prick. So, I want you to understand that as long as you are on the inside of Yah's kingdom and he pricks your heart, you're good. But if you're on the outside of his kingdom and he pricks your heart, you better get in. <laughs> and fast. See, this is one of the borders. And you want to stay within the kingdom of Elohim. You don't want to go beyond the border because Yah's protection is not with you beyond the borders. It's only on the inside of the borders. You know, so when you're on the inside of Yah's kingdom in the wilderness of Zen, your heart will get pricked to do the right thing. But when you're on the outside, it'll get pricked to do the wrong thing. Because Yah is all about what's right, but the enemy is all about what's wrong. Even if it sounds right. Sometimes he can sometimes he can articulate it in a way that it sounds right. Nevertheless, it's still wrong. Ecclesiastes 12:11 speaks to the wilderness of Zim beautifully. It says, the words of the wise are as goals. A gold is like a stick with like a real sharp point at the end. And that's that's what the shepherd used to use to move the cattle along. They would stick them with this sharp stick. Or with this stick with a with a nail or some really sharp point on it. And that's how they got the cattle to move. Now it says the words of the wise are as golds and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. You know, so Yah may use the shepherd of your assembly to say something that pricks your heart. That are as nails fastened unto thee. And that don't feel good. Nevertheless, we're told here they are given from one shepherd. Amen. Now, let's take a look at the wilderness of Zen, a real-life application of what I'm talking about. It's found in Acts 2, 36-38. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that Elohim have made the same Yahshua, whom ye have crucified, both Adonai and Mashiach. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Hello, Zen. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? <coughs> and Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yahushua, Mashiach, for the remission of sins. Mm -hmm. And ye shall have the gift of Rakhakwadesh. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Yeah. Now, what Kephas was doing, he was acting as Joshua. If you have eyes to see, he was acting as Joshua. The words that he was speaking in the wilderness of Zen pricked their hearts. And then what did he do? He led them to the Jordan to cross over. Which is where they baptized. You know, Yah's word is so wonderful. It's, you know, uh, but you have to have eyes to see. You know, and, you know, I can only try to paint the picture for you, you know, and make it clear as I, as I can, but Yah has to open the eyes 
by sharing. You know, this is a picture of the very same thing we're talking about. You know, even with Joshua in in the wilderness of Zen. You know, he's gonna cross over the Jordan. And just as when they came through the Reed Sea, 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us that that was a type of baptism. Well, Joshua did the exact same thing at the Jordan. So wouldn't that be a type of baptism? Of course it would. You know, but that's one border. So you want to stay inside the wilderness of Zen. You want to stay on in the kingdom of Elohim side. You know, so when your heart get, gets pricked, it gets, it gets pricked to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. Now, the next border was Mount Lebanon. You know, that is the white heart. Now, the part that faces inside the kingdom speaks to a righteous heart. But the part that faces that's on the outside of the kingdom represents a stubborn and stupid heart. One that just reflects the light but won't let it in. You know, so this is yet another border. And you want to make certain that you stay on the right side of it. Consider Yeshua Yahoo 29.17. It says, Is it not yet a very little while and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. Now Lebanon was and is a forest. But for the kingdom of Elohim, when the children of Elohim enter into the kingdom of Elohim, that forest will become as a fruitful field. See, that forest is filled with trees that don't bear fruit. But all of us that are righteous trees in Yahshua, we bear much fruit. Hence, it will be turned into a fruitful field. Can you see? Also consider Proverbs 15, 28. It says, the heart of the righteous study of the answer. But the wicked pour out evil things. You know, think before you speak. Filter what you're about to say through Yah's word. You know, that word study of to answer speaks to meditate, meditation, you know, or thinking. You know, meditate on what you're about to say. Think about what you're going to say. Don't just blurt stuff out. Don't let just any old thing fall out your mouth. Because at the end of the day, Yahshua teaches that you're going to be judged for every idle word. Then we had the next border, which was the great river Euphrates. And Euphrates speaks to fruitfulness. You know, and we want to have the fruit of the Ruach. You know, those on the opposite side of this border, they have the lust of the flesh. But those that's inside the kingdom of Elohim, they have all the wonderful fruit of the Ruach. Love, joy, peace, etc. Right? You know, a uh, passage that speaks to this is Yeshayahu 32, 15, and 16. It says, Until the, the Ruach be poured upon us from, from on high in the wilderness, be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. You know, very similar to, to the last passage. You know, and then verse 16 goes on to say, then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Hallelujah. You know, so make certain that you're putting enough seed into the ground so that you can get some trees to grow some fruit. You know, so that you can have some fruit trees. You need that fruit. You know, if we're going to be in the kingdom of Elohim, we have to have some fruit. And this is a picture of Hattusas, which was the capital of the Hittite Empire, because um, our last border was that of the Hittites. 
Now consider Genesis 23.6. It says, Hear us, my Adonai, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, buried thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. Now remember what Heth meant. Heth spoke to that which was terror, or that which was terrified. You know, uh, so much so that they lay prostrate or worship that in which they feared. Now that's the type of reverence we're supposed to have for Yah. We're supposed to have such a fear for him that we prostrate ourselves before him. We worship him. You know, and it's hard to see like why I chose this passage because you can't see what's behind the words, but I'm going to try to point them out. Like this word, my Lord, is actually um, Adonai. So it's my Adonai. You know, and then it says, Thou art mighty. This word mighty is actually Elohim. They're actually saying, My Adonai, thou art a God. That's literally what they're saying. They're calling Abraham a God. You know, and then it says, Prince. You know, and this word prince is Nasi, you know, which speaks to a, a leader. You know, so or a chief. So basically saying you're a chief God among us. You know, but I point this out to show the reverence that the Hittites had for Yah's people. You know, that was in their midst. You know, now that didn't mean they were, you know, weren't weren't wicked, but you know, at least they had reverence for Yah's people. You know, and it's not too hard to conquer people who are already afraid of it. You know, and say, none of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but thou mayest bury thy dead. And of course, this is when Abraham was seeking to bury his wife Sarah. Well, that's all I have for you today. I pray it was a blessing. All right. Um, at this time, we'll take any questions.